Welcome to the In the Oil Patch radio show, broadcasting from the SR Trident studio. SR Trident, where safety is a culture, not just a word. In the Oil Patch radio show with Kimball Auto is where you will hear the latest in the oil, gas, and energy industry from a wide variety of industry experts, elected officials, and more, right here on In the Oil Patch radio show. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kimball Otto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We'll be joined by Amy Cronus and Kate Harding with Deloitte. But first, I'd like to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. The feature cover is Heidi Gill, who is the president and CEO of Urban Solutions, a great company that is stepping up to the plate and helping the oil and gas sector in the name of energy efficiency and solving the environmental challenges of tomorrow. If you don't want to miss it, to read her story and more, please visit shellmag.com. Again, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. And I'd also like to invite you to an upcoming mixer in Houston, Texas. It's an all-streamed mixer at Fogo the Chow in the Woodlands on November 17th, a mixer that you don't want to miss. For more information or to get your tickets, please visit shellmag.com or go to our Facebook page, Shellmag. You can click on the link and buy yourself a ticket or sponsor the event. Again, for more information, visit shellmag.com slash ticket And now it's time to welcome on my co-host and editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in the oil patch. It sure is, and we have a, an exciting show coming up. We're going to be joined later on with Amy Cronus and Kate Harden with Deloitte. But first, I want to get into uh, the Biden administration and their energy policy, uh, specifically uh, uh, Energy Secretary Jennifer Gramholm, who recently tried to blame her high gas price or the high gas prices at the pump. Her contention, David, is that oil and gas companies, well, they just aren't flipping that switch fast enough to turn on the new production uh, that the, the, the demand we're having here in the United States. So last week it was uh, OPEC wasn't doing what they needed to do right. to open the spigots, and this week it's these oil and gas companies aren't flipping the switch fast enough. What in the world is she talking about? This is the energy secretary. <laughs> yes, this is the energy secretary. Um, yes. Uh, I, you know, what's she talking about? Uh, I don't know, and she doesn't either, obviously. I mean – and that's a really sad commentary on on the person who's the energy secretary. That I mean, this is just. I think these people in the Biden administration at this point just kind of say whatever nonsense comes off the top of their head during these interviews anymore. Um, and that's just absolute nonsense. And everyone knows you you can't just flip a switch and turn on more oil production. It takes time and. Millions and millions of dollars of investment to, to drill these wells and and bring them online, and and so this is just more sophistry from the Biden administration. Well, of course, because everyone is well aware that if it was that easy to just flip a switch, then we wouldn't even be talking about all these topics pertaining to sure, we'd uh, all climate be doing it, right? change <laughs> and uh, seismicity, because they're you know. Uh, uh, causing earthquakes, all these things that we hear, negative, negative, negative. Well, of course, they're having to dig to get this, um, you know, oil and gas out of the ground. So you can't flip the switch. Uh, you have to actually do this production, uh, and it takes a long time. It takes infrastructure. So killing things like the Keystone Pipeline on day one or looking 
at this other pipeline potentially and taking it offline. Is that going to make matters better or worse when we're talking oh, about infinitely worse. flipping I mean, the switch? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, it'll make it infinitely worse. The, the Line 5, the Enbridge's Line 5 coming down from, from Canada into Michigan and the Great Lakes states supplies up to 70% of the, the crude oil needed to, to make gasoline in some of those areas. And, uh, and there's no really viable replacement for it. And so what would happen if they shut it down? Well, what would happen is the oil would have to be transported on trucks and trains which means vastly more air pollution, uh, vastly higher chance of accidents and spillage and, and injuries to people. And, and so it's just, it's idiocy. It's, it's pure idiocy, idiocy, and they claim it's all being done in the name of climate change, which, which is nonsense. Again, it's just more of this same kind of nonsense. Well, you know, you know David, it is bad when, you know, more left-wing media uh, groups such as MSNBC or uh, CNN are also questioning, wait a minute, uh, this can't be possible. But meanwhile, Joe Biden continues to claim that he is working on a plan to somehow address high prices at the pump, something he's been claiming for now about three months. So what's really going on with the plan, and uh, or does he even have a plan? Because it kind of appears as though the energy secretary and, and himself, they're on two different planets when they're talking about solutions. Sure, and, and neither one of them is on planet Earth, unfortunately. They, I think she's on, on Venus and he's on Mars or maybe even Saturn. Um, Look, it, it, the president doesn't have a plan. The president doesn't have a plan for anything. He's not making any decisions himself in this administration, and everyone knows it at this point. Um, so when he says he's working on a plan, that's just a talking point that someone else wrote for him to read off of a teleprompter. And when he says his administration has a plan, that's just nonsense because it's pretty obvious at this point that no one in this in- administration has any intention of doing anything to try to to lower gas prices or stop them from rising because the truth is that that we all need to recognize and just accept is that higher and higher prices for gasoline and other forms of fossil fuel-created energy is part of the Biden agenda because, you know, their belief is the higher they can can make the, the cost for fossil fuels for gasoline and home heating, you know, natural gas to heat your home, the higher those prices become, then renewable energy sources actually become more competitive in the marketplace. And that's all part of the plan. It's all intentional. And this administration is not going to do anything uh, real to try to, to slow that down. Correct. And that's where when you're talking about uh, you know, we, we have a revelation this week from the Biden administration, his nominee for a comptroller, and she yeah. admits that the Biden administration's goal is to bankrupt oil and gas companies. I mean, they actually said this. And what I think the consumer needs to understand, yes, the person who's listening to our show, that when this starts happening, we're already seeing the uh, beginning initial impacts with, like you said, higher prices at the pump higher uh, food prices at your local grocery store and all these other things because they're all byproducts of, of oil and gas to some degree, whether it's your makeup or your car or toothpaste, I mean, you name it, it's going to go up. 
but if they're trying to bankrupt the oil and gas companies because they admitted it, um, isn't that yeah. kind of unusual that they're so so they're talking saying, gee, oil and gas companies need to flip the switch and turn it on and all these things Biden says he's working on uh, prices to, to, to bring them down. But the result is they're also admitting that this is the plan. You're right. It's to make right. oil and uh, to make these renewables more competitive to where we turn to them as a solution because oil prices are are, are you know they're just too high. We want to now move to something that's going to be cheaper. And here comes the relief. And and David, I guess that would be okay. Except tell tell me who is the most vulnerable population when this starts? Is it people of, uh, that have a, a great deal of money or is it the people who are living paycheck to paycheck right now? If they even well, have yeah, a I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously poor people. It, it's a higher percentage of their overall income. So what, what higher gas prices and just inflation in general, which is out of control at this point, completely out of control, uh, that's a tax. It's we a very have regressive tax in 30 years. for people to pay. I'm sorry, what? I said we have not had this high of inflation in 30 years. We've managed oh, yeah, to take us yeah. in one year. And, less than and really, if you, if you measure inflation rate. by the formula that they used to use 30 years ago, really what we have is the highest inflation we've had since the Great Depression. That's really what we have right now. They changed the formula to calculate it, uh, inflation during the Clinton administration to make it appear to be lower. But, but in reality, prices are rising faster today than they have in any of our lifetimes. You know, I, I, I see no end in sight, and I, I guess I'm, I'm really struggling with we're post-COVID. Many people have not even gotten back on their feet uh, or gainfully employed. And we're looking and staring down a 30-year high of inflation currently, and it's just going to get worse. Um, and, you know, it reminds me of when uh, we hear our elected officials telling us that, you know, um, when our elected officials tell us that elections have consequences, they do, folks, and we're living in it <laughs> they now. They really do, yes. They really do, and um, and it's it's so shameful because we have an abundance of natural gas and uh, crude oil here in the United States. Um, let me ask you a question before we have to go and, and bring our, our guests on the show. Are you hearing anything about the Biden administration discussing uh, an executive order to place the exporting ban back in place that we had, what, five, six years ago? Are you hearing uh, of that, any of yeah, that? Chatter? Yeah, I mean, they've been discussing that as an alternative to keep more of our own oil here at home. Uh, but again, you know, that's exactly what you should expect from this administration, because what that would do is just would just be to cause prices to go higher, because it would take three million barrels off of the off of the market, and so uh, the market would become even more constrained, and prices would go even higher. And so it's nonsense. But it's exactly what we should expect them to do here in the near future. Well, David, yeah. it is a very interesting time that we're living if you're in the energy sector. Uh, but that is all the time we have for this segment. But coming up, we will be joined by Amy Cronus and Kate Harden with Deloitte. You're listening to In the Warpatch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. 
SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founders Steven Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals who are dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. And now, David, it is time for us to welcome on our guest, Amy Cronus, who has got a new title, U.S. Vice Chair of Oil, Gas, and Chemical Industry for Deloitte. Amy, welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Welcome, Kim and David. Great to be here. I, I'm honored to get to see Dwayne Dixon, who's been on the show with, with you before, Kim and me. And he, he left our practice in great shape. We are excited to be ever growing and serving um, clients across the Fortune 500 and Global 1000. And I am um, excited to helm here in the U.S. Well, I do have to say, knowing uh, Dwayne as well, um, he I believe he's leaving it in good hands because you're certainly not a newbie to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. But uh, we do wish him well in his retirement. Before we get into the show, Let's start uh, with our listeners giving a little bit of background uh, on how you um, came to this in the way of, uh, tell us a little bit about Deloitte Services. I think that Deloitte is this mega consulting company, um, and so we want to know a little bit about Deloitte, the services, and the team that you guys have there in Houston. Sure. Sure. So it's actually a national team, even though, of course, we have many of our folks based in Houston. Uh, our, our, our U.S. energy resources and industrials practice serves 91% of the Fortune 500 uh, ERI companies, as we call them in the U.S. And for oil, gas, and chemicals, we have over 3,500 practitioners across uh, four businesses audit, tax, consulting, and our risk and financial advisory, and across 11 segments. And so, um, very, very broad and deep. And in terms of Deloitte globally, many folks don't know that we're now over 50 billion in revenues with uh, with uh, with over 330,000 global employees. And probably, and David, you're probably familiar with this. When we did the cover of you, Amy, uh, sometime back on in Shell Magazine, you had a different title. So now it's really good to see that. Okay, you you are now in a new title. We might need to be talking about how do we catch up with Amy Cronus again <laughs> with Deloitte. Well, what I love about uh, interviewing you, Amy, and having you guys on, or whether it's uh, Dwayne who just recently retired, some of the other team members on Deloitte. Um, has been just the difference in the different departments and the, the, the white papers that you guys come out with, the studies, and that's why we wanted to bring you on the show today. Because Deloitte recently re- released a new report titled Positioning for Green, 
oil and gas businesses in a low-carb world. Um, and so I want to get into what that is because I think that, uh, and David, you can chime in here too, how many executives and people do we interview? And it's pretty much the same thing. If you're not looking at diversification and you're still kind of in the world of oil and gas, there's a good probability you might not make it in the future. So your report, uh, Deloitte's reporting, really helps, I think, a lot of uh, executives at ease, right, David? I mean, we've, this is what. Yeah, and then, you know, and it, it, it kind of gauged, uh, I mean, the results as I read it kind of gauged uh, the the direction and, and the variety of directions these companies are taking responding to this challenge of the energy transition. Correct, Amy? Absolutely. And you know, the, the study's based on a survey of 100 C-level senior execs, of both global and U.S. oil and gas companies, and it was spread again across pure play, MPs, IOCs, and NOx. And, you know, according to the study, the green shift is certain and unstoppable. High oil prices would not pause. And in fact, we think they'll accelerate the energy transition efforts of oil and gas companies. And a healthier oil price or a healthier state of the industry is a must to enable riskier and expensive green energy solutions. So we to your point, the future of oil and gas is wide open, is against closed in a net zero or low carbon world. Uh, decarbonization of the oil and gas business is both a possibility and an opportunity. And the studies show that 47% of surveyed oil and gas executives state their organizations are focused on building a lean and carbon efficient hydrocarbon business model. Amy, did you, did you send out a survey to these executives? Did you talk to them on the telephone? I mean, how what was the method of getting the feedback from these folks? Well, this would be a great place for me to introduce Kate Harden, who's our executive director of our research yeah. insights uh, organization, our center here. So Kate, you want to tell them a little bit about how the study was done? Absolutely. So we uh, do a number of things when we conduct these larger research efforts. And one of them is a survey, like Amy talked about, we had about a hundred sea level folks and that's across upstream, but looking at, whether that was the national oil companies or North American independents, really reaching out to a variety of, you know, companies with in a different, uh, you know, part of the upstream industry. And secondly, of course, we look at various data sets, do our own analysis on that information, financial information, production information, and bring that into the analysis as well. And then of course, we are frequently in touch with our clients and others in the industry. So having a sense of, of really the context around a lot of this as well. Kate, are you all doing this in, in the way of really trying to help companies really sort out? Because I would imagine this is like finding a needle in a haystack. Not one company is going to be the same, uh, their direction. And I, I'm wondering if a lot of companies are struggling with which way to go. Some might look at um, maybe wind turbines versus solar versus hydro. I mean, all of the buzzwords are new technology, IA, companies coming in and building off of that. We are getting ready to go to break, but I want to start breaking down like, in this paper that you guys released, the positioning of green in the oil and gas business in the low-carb world, the specifics of what they were kind of leaning into, was it that they needed help in the area of in what way is the strongest diversification that you guys could, could show them? Uh, were there some real winners that showed real substance that they would want to move towards? Or was it it's everything and anything and it could be like a shotgun approach where you could just look at anything. So I'm wondering when you, when you got your survey back, what, 
were they specifically saying to you? We're going to take a quick break, but we're going to come back and drill down into positioning for green, the oil and gas business in a low-carb world produced by Deloitte. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C. and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. Hey you, do you want to join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? TEAK is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. And welcome back to End the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Amy Cronus. She is the U.S. Vice Chair of Oil, Gas, Chemical Industry for Deloitte. And Kate Harden, who is the Executive Director, Research Center for Energy and Industrial. Ladies, before the break, we were talking about this brand new research paper that Deloitte released. Uh, the title, Positioning for Green Oil and Gas Business in a Low-Carb World. And um, I guess... My thought is, can you tell us in that research paper, um, how does an executive or how does their executive uh, team figure out, well, which is the path to go down that is going to be the most successful? Do, do you all help in did you this positioning paper? In what areas were you, was your research pointing you to of how involved um, or, or how questionable is the path forward for a lot of these companies? Thanks so much for that question. I think it, it really does get us to the main point of the paper, which is as we did the survey, as we talked to folks, as we you know conducted our analysis, really there emerged four different pathways or what we're calling archetypes that are common to many of the companies that we were working with on this. And let me outline those quickly and then I'll turn over to Amy to, to give a little bit more context around that. But we found, first of all, one of the common pathways for about 30% of our survey participants is what we call the hydrocarbon stalwarts. These are the producers that are by definition, the low cost producers, and they are in lower cost regions and they are likely to be very competitive in the market going forward. But we also have the low carbon producers, a second pathway for the producers who are still keeping oil and gas as their core business, but also really moving towards decarbonization. So so what are they doing? They're decarbonizing operations. They're looking at marketing green gas, for example. So they're really innovating in this new environment. 
And then we have our third pathway, the green followers. And these are folks who are planning to make that investment into new business models, but they're not doing it quite yet. They'll be continuing to reap some of the benefit of the high oil and gas prices, but saving a lot of that investment for that next step, for moving into newer initiatives, into new business models, new technologies watching very closely at the commercialization of those new technologies that really matter for our low carbon future. And then finally, the familiar category of what we call net zero pioneers. And these are the oil and gas players, many of them among the bigger oil and gas companies who have actually really begun that transition, have already made those investments in in wind or in electric vehicle charging and are really already taking those steps kind of out of oil and gas as the core business and into what we're considering kind of the low carbon future, the new energy situation. So Amy, let me turn to you to provide a little more context around those categories. Sure, and, and um, all these shades of green are needed and accepted. And according to our survey, 23% of oil and gas organizations would fully embrace the dark green shades over the next three to five years. The rest, 77% who plan to stay in hydrocarbons would most likely pick lighter shades of green. And we need companies across these shades. Without, you know, without all these different shades, we would either see oil price shocks or green energy bubbles. You know, energy transition or going green is a journey and thoughtful acceleration in times of change. It's not an overnight switch. It's all about thoughtful acceleration. Um, and there's different, there's multiple pathways to unlock the trillion dollars in value from the transition that Kate mentioned. You know, value metrics, however, vary across those four pathways. And they can um, you know, companies can go in and out of these different pathways as well. And there, you know, we shouldn't, we can't and shouldn't analyze every oil and gas company in one or two common metrics. Each company has its unique strength and each would be focused on creating and preserving its value differently. And, you know, for example, um, following along with what Kate was talking about, net zero pioneers would prioritize minimizing transition risk while hydrocarbon stalwarts would strive for a trade-off between risk and returns. Um, similarly, green followers and net zero pioneers would target high extrinsic valuations while low carbon producers and hydrocarbon stalwarts, we're calling them, would bank on their strong intrinsic valuations. And all of these four pathways, we believe, are going to also continue to focus on continuous improvement and efficiency. Um, everybody's focused on that. We haven't, we didn't have any executives who said they weren't very focused on that while also acknowledging the shift. Very interesting. And I know that, David, we probably are ready to start just jumping into it, but we got to take a quick break. because <laughs> so I want to <laughs> Exactly. Um, let's take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The 23rd World Petroleum Congress brings the global industry to the energy capital of the world, Houston, Texas, December 5th through 9th, 2021, for a week of forward-looking conversation that will shape the future of energy. The Congress will be centered around the theme of innovative energy solutions, drawing inspiration from the innovative spirit of the industry over the decades. Delegates can expect robust strategic, technical, and U.S. programs with perspectives from government leaders, CEOs, academia, and other expert speakers on the industry trends, as well as creative solutions and best practices to address current energy challenges. Delegates will have the opportunity to attend industry insight luncheons and numerous networking events that will build new professional relationships and strengthen existing ones. Also, they can explore the Congress exhibition where leading international companies will showcase their innovations. Make your mark at the World Petroleum Congress and be a part of the beginning of what's next. To learn more and register, visit www.23wpchouston.com. That's www.23wpchouston.com.
And welcome back to In the Wall Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Amy Cronus. She is the U.S. Vice Chair of Oil, Gas, Chemical Industry for Deloitte. And Kate Harden, who is the Executive Director, Research Center for Energy and Industrial. This is a great report, and I think it really helps us to see that uh Green is here. Uh, it's in. We're in that transition, and there's just no turning back from now. But you said a lot, and I know David. You have like a lot you want to ask too. So I'll I'll turn the mic over to you. Sure. I, uh, in this segment, uh, let's explore. I think I've got two key questions I want to flesh out because I think um, it, it'll be really interesting for our audience to hear about these. Um, the first question is this: It has to do with the 23 percent of the companies who say they're planning, you know, these are companies in the oil and gas industry currently who say they're planning to go all the way green. They're going to become a green company and no longer an oil and gas company. And and Kate, when you were describing the kinds of companies that fall into that category, you're talking about companies, you know, who have already invested in wind power and solar power and and and, and all these other green kind of green endeavors. And when I hear that, to me, that sounds like Shell and BP and, and, and some of the other big integrated companies that have been kind of doing these things for a long, long time. But when I, when I, when I see that in my mind, it's hard for me to really believe that Shell or BP is ever going to become a completely renewable energy company. So I, I, I want to kind of explore that and, and, you know, have you talk a little bit about the kinds of companies that, that are actually kind of falling into that category? Is it really integrated companies like that? Well, a couple of quick points, David, and thanks for bringing that up. I think it's important to understand that as we did this analysis, we really look at these four archetypes almost as pathways or, or way stations in the transition. So right. we haven't really defined this as groups of companies within each of these categories. It's, you know, you really may find someone who today looks like a low carbon producer may decide in three years that actually they are moving in, you know, much more closely to investing in green initiatives and new business models and they then might make that move into one of the other categories as they're advancing on their journey, right? So I would, I'm glad that you called that out. And and I think the other point to remember here is that a lot of these companies began investing in solar, for example, and other um, just new technologies in general, right? You know, when the oil and gas industry has always been at the forefront in terms of engineering and some of the right. innovations that we've seen, right? So I think, you know, we need to remember this is actually a longer story and you are well familiar with this, you know, than just the past couple of years. And so it is, it is also looking at that track record across the industry that, that we've really kind of incorporated some of this analysis as well. I don't know, Amy, if you want to, if you want to add to that in terms of some of what we're seeing for new business models and some of these sure. new technologies. Sure. Well, the, the pathway you're referring to, David, is the, the net zero pioneers. Uh-huh. And you're right. I mean, it has been the, the, you know, so far of the ones that are really getting, you know, the big stories out there, the big integrated companies who are making major investments and, in, you know, whether it's solar or wind becoming, as you know, huge, huge landowners in Texas alone um, with those alternative methods. And, right. you know, there are certainly, um, I, I would say in that pivot, they're exploring a lot of things. And I think when, when you say, to Kate's point, they're not, um, 
you know, completely changing what got them here, so to speak, versus saying, okay, here, there's this next part of the frontier coming up. We have to be part of it for many reasons, you know, yeah. you know, many stakeholders, many shareholders, you know, environmental pressures, all of that's coming to bear that, you know, they have to look ahead and then they're making investments in big pivots faster than others who are say, you know, only staying in core hydrocarbon businesses right now. I think the overarching thing was the maybe the executives are they also seeing it in in the same way and I can see both sides of it of that maybe they are seeing it might be just political pressure and then the next question would be in my mind is well the elections have consequences does this go away but then it also on the other side is it seems like the the, the train has left the track and it's kind of hard to try to bring it back. So this is probably why there is such a great need for the report that you guys did and the research of getting the pulse of what is happening out there um, with the oil and gas executives because our leadership, our executives, uh, I mean, our elected officials can say what they will, but truly the ones who are going to make the changes is going to be the you know executives in the oil and gas industry and their teams. When we get back from break, I want to drill back down into this report. It's so interesting to see the differences between you know different companies and what your survey has come out with. We do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founders Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals who are dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. Hi, I'm Kim Bilotto, wanting to talk to you about how to age gracefully. As a woman, my appearance is important to me. It makes me feel good about myself when I feel I'm taking care of myself. And I have been visiting a woman for many years who has helped me with my wrinkles, my skin's elasticity. And you know, a lot of people think it's really just involving women, but it's not. Many, many men also seek treatments as they see the aging process occurring. I visit Cynthia, my friend of many years, who is a master injector for San Antonio Cosmetic Surgery. I feel very comfortable going to her and allowing her to just do her work on me. Pick up the phone, call Cynthia, make an appointment, and see what she can do for you because it has taken years off of me. So if you want a free consultation with Cynthia, give them a call at 210-641-4320. Again, the number is 210-614-4320. Or you can visit their website at sanantoniocosmeticsurgery.net. Be sure to tell them that Kim with In the Oil Patch Radio Show sent you. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, 
advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find. And welcome back to In the Wall Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Amy Cronus. She is the U.S. Vice Chair of Oil, Gas, Chemical Industry for Deloitte. And Kate Harden, who is the Executive Director, Research Center for Energy and Industrial. Amy and Kate, uh, you know, when we talked about this uh, this report a few weeks ago uh, over the phone, um, we talked about what you guys are seeing now that in the M&A world, the mergers and acquisition world, you're starting to see these these kinds of green ESG kinds of concerns become a big factor in how companies uh, uh, evaluate potential acquisitions and divestments of, of their assets. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. I mean, the net zero focus is real, and we see it growing stronger by the day, as do the companies we surveyed. And one of the indicators we're starting to see in merger and acquisition activity in particular is that there is um, due diligence and in specific interest in assets that are have lower carbon um, footprints or opportunities, and uh, that that's a that's a, tr- a shift that seems to be here to stay and to grow. So I think that's a good indicator that this is, this has a notice of both uh, both ends of the transaction activity. And Kate, y'all, uh, the firm is is about to 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 release an update right on mergers and acquisitions towards the end of the year? Yeah, David, that's right. We normally every year put out our our mergers and acquisitions kind of outlook for the oil and gas industry, generally around the end of January, early February timeframe. And I think as Amy's pointed out, we will be looking a little more closely this year at what we're seeing in terms of interest in ESG in particular, in terms of due diligence around ESG and how that's factoring into some of these decisions and some of these, um, you know, transaction conversations. Yeah. Well, so, and, and, and Amy, you touched on this a, a, a little while ago, just briefly. Um, we're in this time now of high commodity prices, which is, of course, generating new cash flow and new potential profits into, into these oil and gas companies. And, and you know, I think you told me when the, the first time we talked about this report that that's actually a positive thing that's actually going to help facilitate driving these green innovations in this industry, correct? You're absolutely right. Um, we actually have an upcoming oil and gas outlook report too, where we're, we're basically finding that oil prices above $60 per barrel boosts or complement energy transition efforts. You know, the current cycle of higher oil prices reveals two new trends that are going to continue over the next year and, and buck conventional wisdom. That first, oil and gas companies these days, they're, they're far more highly disciplined with production and capital guidance, despite right. the oil prices than, you know, kind of the booms of the past, a uh, lot, lot more discipline and efficiency. Uh, and, and frankly, new advances in technology, digital technology and AI 
um, tools that have come into play are helping enable that. Um, secondly, high oil prices are allowing companies to fund their net zero commitments. Uh, as we were speaking about earlier, companies are taking um, you know, the profits they're getting right now and they're, they're publicly stating that they're using those to fund the investments. Um, for instance, after European oil and gas companies led the net zero pledges in 2020, many US oil and gas companies, Canadian oil sands producers, and even a few Knox national oil companies joined the net zero group in 2021. So uh, we, we, we see it and the executives we surveyed saw it as rising prices actually helping energy transition. Yeah, and, we, and we've kind of seen, I think here recently, uh, a good example of that capital discipline and how it's kind of led to this, as you mentioned just a minute ago, uh, We've been in a boom this year, but it hasn't been the same kind of boom that we've seen in the past with, you know, skyrocketing rig counts and just a frenzy of drilling. It's it's more of a boom that's leading to these new investments, right? And Diamondback Energy uh, in its recent uh, uh, earnings report uh, and, and investor meeting talked about the fact that, yes, it's making big profits now and it's really increased its cash flow but it's going to plow the, that cash flow, you know, back into uh, these kinds of investments and rather than, and it's going to hold its, uh, its plan is to hold its overall uh, equity production static through the end of 2022, rather than activating a bunch of new rigs, right? And so that's yeah. kind of a sign of that discipline. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right, David. In fact, 80% of our survey respondents were who were mulling renewable energy heavy business stated that the evolution of technology remains the biggest challenge for them for pivoting to, to clean energy options. Well, and that's going to be a real challenge, isn't it, for, for, for these companies, because so many of these independent producers in particular, you know, have, have really always been on kind of a, a, a paradigm where they really do a lot of long-term planning of the business. They're so focused on quarterly results and annual results, and now, they're in a situation where they're having to, to look out 10, 20, 30 years. And is that, you see that causing some frustration, I guess is the best word uh, in some of these companies and these management teams? Yes, I think so. And, and Kate, you're happy to, happy to give examples from the study, but you know, the oil and gas industry industries always prioritize optimization of operations, but the challenge is intensifying uh, with the transition due to reducing demand. So yeah. but there's a, there's the conundrum, right? Yeah, I would just second that and say that we expect that, you know, as we said earlier in this in the show, that the the kind of lean, efficient producer really is going to take the day because the market may well get more competitive. Is there any um, area of reservation that maybe anyone has, and, or and maybe it was in the survey, maybe it wasn't, but a lot of these cycles that happen have a lot to do with election uh, who's in office. And I'm wondering, so when we have another election cycle, do you all see this, this, this maintaining and continuing, or do you see maybe some of these operators and might pivot a little bit and say, well, wait a minute, are these long-term sustainable plans, or do you see them maybe with an election possibly pivoting again? What are y'all, I know, and the survey might not even have it in there, but I'm just wondering, because elections do seem to have outcomes in the oil and gas industry. Uh, I don't think the survey asked specifically about, you know, administration outcomes, but it but it did ask around whether they thought this was uh, the shift was certain. And the answer was yes, that the net zero focus is real and it's likely going to grow stronger by the day. 
you know, the, the global energy system set to undergo transformational changes with a reduced role for fossil fuels, higher share of renewables in the energy mix, greater consumer choice, and increasing levels of integration and competition for cleaner technologies, regardless of, you know- Who's in office. Okay. Regardless of who's in office. I mean, it's really really driven by investors. That's right. And that's right. that Wall Street money that, that has been lagging because of this really strong anti-fossil fuel belief. Amy, where can, or Kate, where can a listener go to pull the entire report down? I mean, where would they find it on Deloitte's website? So we have published this on our Deloitte Insights website, and there you will find the highlights of the paper. You'd be able to download the actual full body of the paper. We also have some interactive graphics that are coming. So there are various ways to access the pieces of the report, but um, going to Deloitte Insights is, is the best way to get there. Excellent. Um, and we will also, if you'll share the link with us, we'll also have it on our website as well, in which you can find it on positioning for green oil and gas business in a low-carb world. Ladies, Kate, Amy, once again, thank you so much for coming back on In the Oil Patch Radio Show and sharing this report with us. Very, very, very interesting report. Thank you, ladies, for joining us on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, David. Thank you all. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.